You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Jtown. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. Go to Matthew chapter 10. That's where we are. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in front of you. Passive Scripture is in the bulletin as well as on the screen. So let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. And if I've never met you before, my name's Lyle, one of the pastors here. Glad you're here. And uh, we're diving in the middle of this chapter. And this is a, a, the context primarily is just um, he chooses the 12, he's sending them out, and he's giving them some instructions. And so, um, so yeah, we're going to look at 24 all the way to the end of the chapter. So hear the word of the Lord. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be to become like his teacher and a slave like his master, if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Do not assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. The one who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to the one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask that you would speak to us, Lord. May you give us courage to live out what you're commanding and sending us to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, so if you know me uh, somewhat well, uh, you probably know this about me. I, I'm, I'm a peacemaker by nurture and nature, and so... Nature obviously means like, I think it's a God-given gift that God's given to me. It's part of how he's wired me and put me together. 
And then nurture is kind of your family of origin, how that's been shaped and how that's kind of been cultivated in your home. I thank God for my parents. I, I grew up in a home that took me to church. My dad was a minister of music and youth for a number of years. Uh, but at the same time, I had a home that was um, uh, full of a lot of anger. My dad was a pretty angry man. Um, and you just never knew what you are going to get. Very unpredictable. And so in some ways, to survive, right? I mean, all of us learn how to survive in our home, whether your home was healthy or unhealthy. You, you learn how to survive. And some of that comes out as you get a little older. So if it's not coming out yet, give it some time. Amen? So that's what you get to look forward to. Uh, as much as you don't want to be like your parents, you're more like them than what you realize because you absorb all kinds of things. You don't even know you're absorbing them. So uh, that's a whole talk in and of itself. But to survive in my home, I learned how to do peace in somewhat of an unhealthy way. So by nature and nurture, I'm kind of a peacemaker. And so there's a lot of gifts to that. There is. And thankful for it. I'm not like, you know, against it. I want to live into this better and be a more healthier, peaceful person. And so being a peacemaker then, you know, conflict and confronting is not something I love. Right? Like some of you, you get amped up about it. Conflict, I'm in. Right? Oh, you want me to confront them? I'm there. Right? That's just not me. Like conflict and confrontation, oh man, it creates a lot of angst in me. And the reality is, is that as I've learned, like you got to have both. Like if you're going to have a healthy marriage, you're going to have to have conflict. If there's not conflict going on in your marriage, listen to me, someone's stuffing it. <laughs> they are. And it's going to blow up here soon. Just give it some time. If you're not having conflict, something, somebody's keeping stuff from you. They're not, they don't feel like it's a safe place. They can't be honest. And you feel that even with a team. If there's not conflict within your team, it's not a healthy team. So if you're in business and you, you work with a team, whatever it is, you know, if you don't have conflict in your team, it's not a healthy team. It's unhealthy. There's something going on there. And you know this, if you're a dad or you've got friends, hopefully you've got friends, you don't have friends, that's another talk in and of itself, but... There's going to be times when you need to confront. Like a healthy relationship, there are times when you need to confront them. And so those are all really good things. And some of you are wired in such a way to where, man, you're like, yay, I'm all about it. And others of you, like me, when we think about conflict and confrontation, just creates a lot of angst. Because you realize this is something that's really healthy and you need to step in and do this. And I've learned how to do this, sometimes through the hard way. Um, but at the same time, it's just difficult. You don't like um, sort of the unsettledness and the restlessness this may cause in somebody or the, the peace is going to be shaken a little bit in someone. I don't like the unsettledness and the peace that I'm going to feel or the lack of peace that I'm going to feel. And so that's, that's where angst gets in me. I know this is something I need to do. It's really healthy. Ah, right? And for others of you, your angst is just different. But it's kind of defined in the same way. You know what you need to do, but there's struggle with it. And if I had to step back and just kind of reflect on this, and I have done a lot of work in this area, I really have. I've realized the only way I can be a healthy dad and to be a healthy pastor of this church, I've got to do conflict and confrontation really well. I mean, if I don't, man, it's, it's not going to go well for me. But if I step back and kind of reflect on this, um, the driving emotion that's underneath all of this is fear. I'm afraid. I don't want to confront because I'm afraid of 
how it's going to go, what you're going to think of me, what you're going to say about me. Like, I, I want your approval. That's part of the unhealthiness of peacemaker. Like, I want you to like me. And so if I've got to confront, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what you're going to say, what you're going to think about me. It makes it really, really hard. So in chapter 10, uh, you're probably wondering, where's the connection? I'll get there in just a second. In chapter 10, it's all about um, the sending out of the 12. So up to this point, in the first nine chapters, these 12 guys are kind of in the background. You know, we hear a little bit about Matthew's story, but the rest of them, we don't know anything about them until chapter 10. The first part of chapter 10, Matthew introduces these 12 disciples. And so now they're kind of put into the, the forefront here because what they've seen Jesus do, you know, preaching, teaching, and healing, now Jesus is inviting these 12, and he's going to send them out to go and do the same thing. They're going to preach about the kingdom, teach about the kingdom, and they're going to give kind of visual signs of the kingdom to come through healing of sickness and disease and raising of the dead. And it's interesting, if you look at, at chapter 10, there's some... There's some specific things for them that are not necessarily for us. So if you read the first part of chapter 10, if we did that, you would see that there's commands for them to shake the dust of their feet. You know, if this town doesn't receive you, like, good riddance, peace. You know, say like, like, sorry, I wouldn't want to be, whatever. Uh, I don't know, I'm kind of giving back to my 80s little talks there. So it's like, yeah, all the 80s call and they want their little slang back. All right, so, so. Man, like two people for real? Come on, I don't care. Just patronize, laugh. Just patronize me a little bit up here. Um, so, so here's the thing. Like some of this is not necessarily applicable to us. It's specific to them. You know, you got, you got other places now and shake the dust or a feed, but he's telling them not to go to Gentile villages, just go to the Jew, the Israel, lost sheep of Israel. So it's not like there's some of this is not our commission. Our commission comes in Matthew chapter 28 when we're, we're sent to all the nations, right? But, but there's still stuff in here for us. So what he does with the disciples, he does with us. He, he calls us. He saves us. He renews us, gives us his spirit. And look, he sends us out. Like this is the rhythm of the Christian life. This is what he does. He's not giving up on this plan. This is his plan to get the gospel to all the nations. So does Jesus need us? No, I mean, he's God. I mean, if he wants to get his gospel out by having the trees speak like we see in the Lord of the Rings, he can do that, right? That would be pretty freaky, amen, right? But he's chosen to need us. This is how he's accomplishing his plan here. Saves the people, gives them the spirit, and then sends them out. And so we can learn a lot from chapter 10, not necessarily in strategy because Jesus doesn't give us a lot of strategy in chapter 10. Actually, what he spends the majority of time talking about is this isn't going to go well for you guys. You're going to be faced with a lot of rejection and opposition. You're going to be marginalized. You're going to be persecuted. And in fact, some of you are going to die. Because you're my witnesses. You're a carrier of the name of Jesus. That's what he does with the majority of this chapter. Not giving strategy on how to do this, but preparing you for what you're going to receive back. 
Now, why is that? Why is, why is Jesus saying, hey, this is, this is how it's going to be for you? And it's not going to go well. Well, he tells us why there in verse 24. Look what he says. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house, this is just basically like demonic. That's what that word means, Satan, right? How much more the members of his household? All Jesus is trying to say here is this. Like, this is what they did to me. They're going to do the same to you and maybe even worse. So remember this at the chap- end of chapter 8. Jesus heals two blind men. That's kind of good, right? That's, that's rhetorical, like, amen. I'm supposed to say amen, yeah. Like, that's a good thing, right? Two blind men get, get to see. Then you got a guy who hasn't been, who hasn't talked in most of his life. He's got a demon in him. Jesus casts that out, and he's able to talk. And the crowds were amazed. The two blind men see that Jesus is the Messiah. And what do the religious leaders say? That's not a trick question. What do they say? Yeah, you're a demon, basically. You're doing this by the power of the demons. How insane is that? So here's, think about this, guys. Here is Jesus, the very perfect embodiment of truth and grace. So if there's anyone that's ever walked on this earth that handled every situation perfectly, it's Jesus. If there's anyone who walked on this earth that treated every human being with kindness and dignity and respect and honor, it is Jesus. And he did everything right. Did a lot of good for people. And even in the midst of doing something good, like getting a guy to be able to speak by getting the demon out of him, they looked at him and said, you are demon-possessed. You're demonic. You're doing this by the power of the demons. And eventually, we know the whole story. The crowds murder him. So, Here you go, disciples. This is what's going to happen to you. Like they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. You're going you're to do all you can to handle this perfectly, but guess what? You're going to still have opposition. You're going to still have people reject you. You're still going to have people that call you anti-intellectual. You're going to still have people call you bigot. You're going to still have people call you homophobic. You can handle every situation perfectly. Jesus did, and he still had opposition. And they hated him. And you know what? This is not only going to come from your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, your, you know, like whoever, friends, relationship. It's not going to just come from them. Actually, it's also possibly going to come from some of the, the most um, deep relationships that you can have on earth, and that is your family. I mean, look what Jesus says here in verse 34. There's so much in this chapter that's kind of sometimes confusing and like, man, this is hard to hear, but this is what Jesus, and some of you are experiencing this very thing. And it's actually really encouraging to hear Jesus say this. Because you feel like you're doing something wrong. But look what he says. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn. He's the most polarizing person in the world, Jesus is. You can't be neutral about Jesus. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You might want to put an asterisk there. You kind of understand that one, amen, right? It's like, yeah, I can see why that happened. All right, verse 36, right? 
I'm so glad I didn't say son-in-law and father-in-law. You know, that would, I'd have to edit that out. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. It's really hard to hear, and some of you in this room, just like I said, know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe you're here asking the question, this is how it's supposed to be? I put my faith in Jesus and my mom rejects me? I put my trust in Christ and my family says, don't ever come back for any kind of holidays? And Jesus is going, yeah. This is what it means. And so this is where... um, where angst comes in, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, I may, I may be projecting a little bit, but I'm making a massive assumption here. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, I don't think you're indifferent toward people's eternal state. I really don't. I think there's a, there's a genuine desire that the same person that changed your life, Jesus, you also want that person to change their life. You want them to know who Jesus is. You want them to be in relationship with Jesus, not because their life looks miserable, right? You, you follow me? Like that, That's not the only reason. We don't look at those who are apart from Christ and go, man, their life looks miserable. Actually, it may be the very opposite, right? Some of your neighbors who are not followers of Jesus Christ are more kind than people in your community group, Amen. And like, what's going on with that, right? Like, I enjoy them more than I enjoy this guy. And he's a Christ follower. Like, is there something? No, like, that's humanity, right? We're still struggling with sin. But here's the message. The message isn't that they're miserable. Here's what is reality. Jesus is Lord. That's what we go out and speak. It's not just a rescue mission. It's a reality mission. That Jesus has come to, to help us see this universal reign of God through Jesus Christ. The reason why we should submit our lives to him is because that's how we're created to live. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here, I'm I'm making an assumption here, but I think it's right on. No one's indifferent to that. Like we want them to know Jesus. We have a desire for that. But then, oh man, it's hard. What are they going to think? What are they going to say about me? How are they going to exclude me? How are they going to alienate me? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, this is the angst. That's what it is. And what's driving that angst? What's, what's at the, the root of that? Fear. I'm afraid. You're afraid. I mean, if we just wanted to kind of like nail it just down to one little thing, the reason why most of us do not engage in the mission that God has called us to engage in, which he has, I'm like, I know it's a sermon in and of itself, but I'm not building that argument. I'm just saying, wow, it's, it's in Matthew 10. This is how Jesus works. He saved you. He's indwelt you with the Spirit, and he's sending you out. And what hinders us from even making small steps is we're afraid. I'm afraid. What are they going to say about me? How are they going to reject me? How are they going to alienate me? What, what are they going to call me behind closed doors? That's, that's is it going to make them feel awkward. All these things. And so it's not coincidental that in the middle of chapter 10, when Jesus is talking about mission, he deals with what? Fear. So it's, it's not like Jesus is going, well, I'm going to shame you for being afraid. It's almost like Jesus is saying, yeah, 
I get it. I know you'll be afraid, and that's why I'm, I'm talking about it. And so if, if we learned last week at the end of chapter 9 that the, um, the primary motive for us to go is compassion, not to win. We're not out to win, right? It's like I'm so done with this. No, we're not out to like have some kind of like, we're amazing. No, we love this world. We love people and we go out with compassion for them. That's the motive behind why we do this. And so if that's the motive for mission is compassion, then I would say that the greatest necessity to carrying it out is courage. That's what we need. And courage is never the absence of fear, right? Courage is the ability to move forward in the face of fear. And so, what can cultivate courage in us? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there are moments that are, uh, there's an innate in us where, you know what I'm saying, something happens. I don't know, I can't give any examples right now. I was kind of hoping something popped in my head, but none's popping. But I think you know what I'm saying. Like, there's just times when you go, I'm, I'm stepping in. I'm going to be courageous here. But for the most part, it's not just necessarily something in us. You can also maybe make an argument that courage is something that is found outside of us. And as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, what I would say that helps cultivate courage, especially in this area of mission, is when we look at the promises that God has given to us and us believing those promises and then not just believing but living them creates courage in us. I mean, we just sang about that here just a few minutes ago, about the faithfulness of God. So it's these promises that God has given to us that is to help create kind of a, a courage in us, not that where uh, fear is completely eradicated. I'm not going to be that triumphalistic here, because that's just not very helpful. For some of you in May, <laughs> you may walk out of here and say, I'm done with fear, right? It's, or maybe you're just here and fear is not an issue for you. I don't know. Depends on how you're temporarily temperamentally wired you know it isn't because you're you know some kind of amazing person it's god's grace is showering upon you a little bit harder so humble yourself amen all right so but here here's my my encouragement is that that we would walk out of here to where fear isn't paralyzing that it that we can hear the promises of god get them in us and then be able to take whatever small step it is so that fear no longer has a dominant paralyzing voice in your life and so I just all want to do just just real quick here um, I think there are three in this passage all right I think there are three promises that I, I want to bring out and I feel like Jesus wants us to sit in uh, hopefully cultivate courage in your life to where this angst that you feel right some of it will be subsided that's my prayer and so uh, I think there's more and the whole of the Bible, right? There's all kinds of promises, but we're just looking at three in chapter 10. I can't do the whole Bible because I need to be done in 15 minutes, all right? So, uh, and I don't think you guys would listen that long anyway. So you guys do great, uh, usually. So here we go. Here's the three, all right? Uh, or let me just give you one at a time. All right, the first one that we see here um, is a promise of vindication. The promise of vindication. And so, most of us know what vindication is. Basically, like you're proven right. And so, so hear me, all right? Um, how do I say this? Um, yes, we want to be a people that do not create barriers and walls that makes it difficult for someone to be Christian. You follow me? 
So, you know, this isn't, we're, we're not here to save people. That job's been taken. His name is Jesus. He's done a great job saving people, and he will continue to do that. That is not our job. Our job is not to save people. We give that to Jesus, and he's done a great job. All right, amen. Can I get it to one amen on that? All right. We are here to serve. We are here to love. And we're here to kind of build uh, ramps or pathways to Christ. We don't want to build a wall, right? We don't want to make it more difficult for someone to become a Christian. And sometimes the way that people experience us is building a wall. And some of you are here, and it really bothers you when someone kind of puts you in your place. When someone calls you an anti-intellectual or calls you a bigot or a homophobe. Like you, you hear that and the hairs in the back of your neck, just they go. You know what I'm saying? And you get like all the blood rushes up here. You start kind of getting chills, so to speak. And when that happens, boom, you're, you're in. And you're aggressive. And you're building a wall. And all of that is because I want to be proven right. No, 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 you're not going to say that to me. I want to be proven right. But look what Jesus says here. Verse 26. So this is the first thing where he says, you know, don't be afraid. And it's interesting what we would expect to be there is what he says a little bit later. Like what I would expect, therefore don't be afraid of them. And I would expect because God's going to take care of you. But that's not what he says first. Look what he says. He says, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, what you hear and whisper, proclaim on the housetops. What in the world is Jesus talking about, right? Don't be afraid. Since there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. What in the world? Basically what I believe Jesus, I mean, Jesus is saying here is that your patience, your perseverance, your enduring will emerge into the light someday, which means this, truth will out. Justice will prevail. Those who lived with integrity and innocence, despite what the world says about them, will be vindicated. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed. The truth will one day be known to all. And so if we know that someday we will be vindicated, we will not be shown as fools for giving our lives to Jesus. Actually, we will be seen as, that's the wisest and smartest thing that you could have done. And so knowing that that's what's coming in the future helps me be settled in the present when someone looks you in the eye and says, you're a bigot. have to fight back i don't have to fight anger with anger i can hear that and maybe maybe i can say a truth back to that but it, it's it's all about the kind of presence you have here are you following me if i know vindication is coming i can be wrong i can hear a name that's given toward me and receive it and be settled in spirit. Because I know there's coming a day when the whole world will see what is true. There's a promise of vindication. That's the first one. The second one 
is found in the second part here where he talks about the promise of God's care for you. Your father will care for you. And look what he says here in verse 28. Don't fear those who will kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And what Jesus is trying to do here is just trying to give us perspective on what is reality. So, so if you're anything like me, what gets big in your eyes is human beings. And what gets small is God. And what Jesus is just trying to do is reverse that to where he becomes big and human beings become small. What human beings think about me is small, but what I really care about is what God thinks about me. That's it's all he's trying to do here, giving perspective. So granted, what's the worst that a human being can do to you? Well, the answer is, is they can just kill you. That's it. It's like, well, I think that's encouraging, right? Aren't you reading this going, I, I, I want to receive that as encouragement, amen? Like we're reading the Bible honestly, which I want you to do that. It's like, yeah, I, amen, Jesus, that's all. But, but, but really, this is what we need to understand, that the sting of death has been taken away. And that death is just a doorway into being with Jesus for eternity and waiting for the day he comes and establishes a new heavens and a new earth. That's why Paul can say to live as Christ and to die as what? What did he say? Gain. It's a win-win. So if I remain alive, I'm going to center my life around Jesus. I'm going to live to his glory. But hey, if you take me, so be it. Because I'm going to gain because I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And all Jesus is trying to do is like, all right, if you're going to fear somebody, fear someone that can do lasting damage. And God is the only one that can do that kind of lasting damage because he killed both body and soul. And how? But hear me, like, it's not that Jesus is, is kind of, um, his tone is not like, be afraid of God. <laughs> that's not his tone, right? I mean, sometimes we can read things in the text like, no, that's not. Now, how do I know that? Where, where are you getting that? Well, look what he says right after saying, fear God. Verse 29, aren't two sparrows sowed for a penny? Now, we look at that as a rhetorical question back in the day. Here you I don't know if two sparrows are sold for a penny. I have not. I have no idea. I haven't been to Aldi in a while. Maybe, maybe they have something there for a penny. I'm sure they do. You know, they probably have like a big, huge lamb or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Aldi's always got crazy sales. Uh, yeah, moving on here, right? But, but what, what, what this crowd would have said, right? The disciples would have heard him as a rhetorical question. Yeah, a sparrow is the cheapest bird that you could purchase. And... As cheap and insignificant as this bird is, look what Jesus says. Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. And not only is this word consent mean God's will or sort of permission, it also carries the tone of like he accompanies it. That he's with the sparrow, this small insignificant bird. He is with them when they die. What great love. Verse 30 goes on. Here's this point. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. If God cares for a cheap, insignificant bird like a sparrow, how much more? Does he care for you? 
He cares for you in such intimate detail that he knows the exact number of hairs you have on your head. For some of you, that's really easy. Others of us, it's a little bit more difficult. Amen? It's like, I can count my hairs on my head, right? I mean, guys, I love my kids, but I've never sat down with them and counted their hairs. I have no idea how many hairs they got on their head. But that's how much God the Father cares for you and knows you. Nothing happens to his children that falls outside of his providential care for you. It neither takes him by surprise nor frustrates his purpose. It doesn't promise any kind of immunity from death or suffering or difficulty, but he promises something better. It does not happen without your father, without your father's will, without your father's help. He will support, sustain you through your suffering and difficulty and pain. His presence is promised and he is with you and he cares for you. You will face opposition. You will face rejection. You will be marginalized as you step in and live into this mission that I'm called you to do. But do not fear. Why? Because God is the one who rules over all things. He watches over all things. He has called you. He's commissioned you. He's given you a spirit and he goes before you. And his spirit not only dwells in you that gives you the power to do what he's commanded you to do, but his spirit is with you. And Matthew 28, the promise, the bookended promise, Jesus has all authority. He is the Lord of all things. And he is with you wherever you go. I mean, think about it, guys. Think about it. What? When your child is afraid, what gets rid of that fear? I mean, you wish logic would. Amen. It's the middle of the night. Dad! Mom! Right? You've been there. You go in the room. There's a monster in the closet. So what do you do? You go. Open the door. Look behind you. Shine a light in. There's no monster in there. Then they get back in bed, and what happens? You go downstairs, you lay down for what? Five minutes. Dad! Mom! All right, you go back up. What's that one? Oh, there's a monster in the bed. So you look under the bed. Look behind, no, no monster. You go back downstairs, right? It, it happens over and over until what? Until you lay down with them. Because what dispels the fear of a child? is the presence of a loving parent. Not logic, not rationalization. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. But I'm with you. I'm with you. And nothing will happen to you without your father's consent and his presence with you. He cares for you. So the promise of his presence, the promise of his care for you. And the last one is this. Is the promise of reward. I, I love how Jesus kind of ends this chapter in chapter 12. I mean chapter 10. So he, so he calls the 12 at the beginning. He's getting ready to send them out. And, and you feel like um, the most important people are the, the 12. Like they're the ones that are doing the work. They're doing the job. 
And they're the ones that are going to be on the spotlight. They're the ones that are going to get the reward. And, and they do and they will. Jesus promises a reward for them. But it's interesting how Jesus also includes those who just welcomed them in their home. So they're going to need a place to stay. They're going to need food to eat. They're going to need a place of respite, kind of, you know, to kick back, relax, whatever, to get recharged, whatever. And Jesus includes those people who welcome them, that there is a reward for them also. I mean, I love what he says here, starting in verse 40. Look what he says. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet will what? Because he is a prophet will what? Receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's a righteous, he will receive a righteous person reward. And whoever gives even, even a cup of cold water to one of the least of these little ones, he's not talking about kids, he's talking about his disciples here. Because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth. He will never lose his reward. I love what Bruner says about this in his Matthew commentary. And it's kind of a long quote, but I've put it on the screen for you guys. Uh, to kind of stay with us. So here, here's what he says about this little, these few verses. The ordinary Christian who can do no more for Christian mission than to be hospitable to its workers will be encouraged to know that his hospitality is fully equivalent in God's eyes to being one of these workers oneself. The Christian mission is a, I love what he says here, a blessing bringing thing. And those who carry the mission and those who give hospitality to it, carriers, should know that the Father watches rewardingly. The Christian world mission is God's major enterprise in history, and all who work to advance it, whether directly or indirectly, with sermons or with cups of cold water, with home visitations or financial assistance, are in line for substantial rewards, not a single Disciple is left out of the mission. Some do it and others support it. All receive the same great reward. Divine appreciation at the judgment. Look, we, we all love the blessings that we receive from our parents. We all love like Words of affirmation, words of you are doing an impeccable job that's coming from your parents, no matter what age you are. I mean, my, my Saturdays during the fall are, are, are filled with cross-country meets, all right? That's, that's my world starting in August, and we got two more weeks, and so that's why I look red today. Uh, took a shower this morning, obviously, and I was washing my face and I was going, ow, ow, that's kind of a little tender, a little raw up there. I should have used some sunscreen. But um, I don't know if you guys ever ran cross country. I don't know if you've got a kid that runs cross country, but I just kind of give you a newsflash. It's a horrible sport. <laughs> it gets miserable. I mean, most of the kids that runs cross country is because of the, the family and the community and the friendships there. I mean, you've got a, a few that are very unique and different that love the sport. But the majority of them, when I talk to them about it, do you love cross country? No. <laughs> and when you go on Saturdays and you run, watch them run, they don't look very enjoyable. 
All right? They look absolutely miserable. Kids are throwing up on the course. It's like, do you really like this, right? It's like, what are you? But what's encouraging about this and, um, is when you see parents and friends and grandparents and aunts and uncles that are along the sidelines who are cheering these kids on. I mean, every time I see my boys, I mean, I just, best I can do, man, just yell their names. You're doing good, man. I know you look miserable, but you look really good, right? I'm kind of saying they look good, but really they look absolutely horrible and look like they're having a horrible time, but there's something about words of affirmation, words of encouragement, that no matter how old you are, it does something in you and brings strength, brings endurance. I mean, you can look at it from the opposite end if it's lacking in your home or if you grew up in a home to where that wasn't present. It's really wounding. It's probably had a profound effect on you as an adult. But the other end of that is when you got a healthy parent, even if they're in their 70s and they're looking at you in your 40s and you're going through the whole whirlwind of parenting and they just say this word, man, you're doing a good work. You're doing a good job. Hang in there. There's something about that word that gives strength, doesn't it? It's exactly what Jesus is trying to say here. That he notices, that he sees, that he rewards. And it's something about him noticing and seeing and rewarding that's really powerful. And he gives strength, perseverance, and courage. Courage. So the only way we're going to carry this mission out is when we allow these promises to cultivate courage in our lives, promises of vindication, promises of his care for us, and the promise of reward. So I'll end like this. Um, a good friend of mine, Jonah Sage, who's uh, the lead pastor at our New Albany congregation, asked his congregation this question that, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Like, really, if fear wasn't paralyzing, what would you do? And there was all kinds of different answers. Uh, but several of them said this, like, if, if fear wasn't paralyzing to me, I, I would probably go and have this conversation that I need to have with a brother and sister in Christ. Like, they need to hear this from me. I'm a friend of theirs. I need to go and have a conversation with them. It's going to be a hard one, but I need to do it. And a large majority of them said, I would go tell this close friend of mine this family member, this neighbor, about Jesus. And so just like all forms of growth, right, it's always this little awkward dance of what I call sanctification where it's one step forward and two steps back. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I thought I was making progress. Well, sort of, <laughs> right? And so I think what I want to leave us with is... Um, What's that one step for you? 
that would cultivate kind of courage, that would not allow fear to keep you from just taking a, maybe not a big leap, I'm just talking one step. Maybe it starts with just praying. I mean, that's what Jesus said at the end of chapter 9, before he sent them out, he says, hey, you know what, we're going to pray. Maybe, maybe your step is just this. Put your neighbor's name, your family member's name, your co-worker's name, your classmate's name on a three-by-five card and just pick a day and you're just going to pray for them. And your prayer is just simply like, all right, Lord, I want them to know Jesus because you've changed my life. And I don't know what you want as far as my work in this, but I'm open to it. I'm open-handed. And just see what God does with that. Just, that's it. One step, pray for them. For some of you, maybe your step is to invite them. Invite them to church. We still live in a culture, especially in our area, where an invitation to church is not like received with like, ah, oh, I can't believe you invited me. I'm going to beat you up after work's over. You know, it's like, there's still, it's still common around us, especially this time of the year when we're getting ready to have Christmas and Christmas music will be starting up here in about a week probably, right? <laughs> And if you still listen to the radio, I know the radio was back in the 80s and 90s. Maybe you don't listen. I still kind of listen to the radio. You'll be on the radio. Jesus will be sung on 106.9 for like a, two months. I mean, for two months. And so it's kind of like a softball for us. But maybe that's too much, inviting them here. I know this could be a really big barrier. Maybe a small step is to invite them to your house. Just have a meal with them. No agenda, right? Jesus is not in heaven going, I'm waiting for my name. If I don't hear my name, this doesn't count, right? It's not, that's not how this works. That's just so crazy thinking, right? Just be normal, right? Serve some good food, have good drink together, and just be normal. Don't be a freakazoid, right? Just, just normal. And if you don't know what normal is, I don't know how to help you, right? Just <laughs> go read a book, How to Be Normal. I don't know. Maybe I should write that book, but... I don't know, that was kind of bad, but <laughs> others of us, your next step is to have a conversation. And for some of you, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like you've danced around it long enough. And I think for some of you, it might be the most loving thing you can do with your friend, right? Have the conversation. You don't have to save them. That's not your job. Just present to them how Jesus has changed your life and see what happens. All right? Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.